welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the last episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Edward Kliphaus, partner at Amadeus Capital and venture advisor at M-Ventures. We spoke in depth about prescription digital therapeutics and the market dynamics of this sub-industry. In this episode, we hop over to Southeast Asia to get just a small taste of the vast opportunity for digital therapeutics in the region. Abhishek Shah, CEO and founder of Wealthy Therapeutics, was actually one of the first amazing entrepreneur interviews I recorded back in December of 2020, until I changed the storyline around of these series. In their own words, Wealthy works with pharmaceuticals, medical device manufacturers, and health hospital systems to design and deploy clinically validated digital therapeutic solutions to achieve real-world clinical and business outcomes across multiple therapeutic areas. Since we have spoken, Wealthy is now eyeing geographical expansion to international markets within APAC and Europe. But before we dive in, I met Abhishek at one of the early Health Excel events in Dublin but really got to know him as Wealthy Therapeutics entered the Bayer G4A Accelerator program while I was still there. Abhishek and I took some long walks in the Berlin Tiergarten where I learned a lot about him. He's sharp, determined, and just overall a wealth of knowledge, pun intended. And now we jump to my conversation with Abhishek. So I'm here with Abhishek Shah, CEO of Wealthy Therapeutics. Welcome to the DTX podcast. And if you don't mind, just go back years ago and give us a little bit of your history, how you became a CEO of Wealthy and a little bit your own personal background. Sure. Thanks, Eugene, for having me. So way back, not all the way back to when I was a little cell, but I guess had a moment, right? When I was an early stage venture investor, looking at incredible, incredible companies to invest into incredible founders. And while it was easily a product market fit, when a job is concerned, what was fundamentally FOMO about it was the fact that I had the opportunity to invest in people who would then go out to build stuff, but I wasn't actually building stuff myself. And that what drives me was still a question that I had to answer myself. So I went on a little fishing expedition that what's the problem that I would want to solve? I sort of answered that initial question when I had the opportunity to work in some of the businesses, which one my mother runs and one my father runs in healthcare, but that wasn't it. Went and found incredible companies to invest into consumer tech. That wasn't it. So as I went into that journey of figuring it out, intersection of consumer tech and healthcare is where it became it, but it wasn't so much the solution that excited me as much as it was a problem. When you go on that path of discovery, sometimes you see things that you weren't necessarily seeing earlier. So saw two incredible entrepreneurs in both my parents who were extremely intellectual, easily mentors to me and people I look up to. And yet when they look at their own health, their cardiovascular patients, tension patients, diabetes patients, and they're like the best thing for the pharmaceutical industry because they're moving from one pill a day to two pills a day to four pills a day to five pills a day. You can see that pills aren't enough and having access to the best quality healthcare isn't enough. And there is a gap in there, which there wasn't a term for it then, or there was, but it was not a buzzword like it is now, where how can you intersect that time of the patient's life from the patient's lens and really drive real-world outcomes from that. Geek and me took over, uh, said, okay, this is a problem. 
that I can't be the first person looking at it. Went into PubMed and many nights later, went back to my college days where I just started reading and reading and reading before an examination and came back with that realization. Hold on. This is something that is solvable. There is at the very least protocol driven care that can become virtual at the very best behavioral science and a whole bunch of other new biomarkers that could come into play to drive better real world outcomes. And this entire gamut of things in between, this is worth looking into, but I'm not yet convinced to start a company, but in convinced enough to spend the next six months or one year of my life looking into this. And what year was that? That was 2016. So engaged good old WhatsApp, got the approval to do a study, got patients, got doctors, recruited patients from everywhere, including going on the promenade and, and actually having a little billboard up and saying, would you like to participate? And was really lucky, got to, with a bare bones team, a bunch of interns and equally motivated individuals, was able to prove to myself and to the community that um, digital, when combined into a protocol-driven intervention, can actually drive an improvement in somebody's life, not just on the clinical biomarkers, but truly make a difference in their lives on the emotional side, on their confidence side, on their quality of life. And that was the it moment. That was the mic drop moment. That's when I said, okay, this is something that is worth solving for. It doesn't matter how we'll figure that out, but this is a problem that uh, is going to keep us excited for the foreseeable future. And that's what led to the company. So born into a family of entrepreneurs, which I'm sure you've learned a lot, spent time in both venture capital side, I guess from an investor perspective, and then you'd basically decided, well, I, I need to be a practitioner of building a company, not just talking about it or investing in it. So maybe talk a little bit about, to your point earlier, as you dove into PubMed, the digital therapeutics, 2016, yeah, it was still not a buzzword, was still earlier days of it. As you were approaching as an, already an investor on one side, can you talk a little bit about what that journey took right, to convince the initial investors? Yes, you had some great proof points recruiting patients on the streets, <laughs> which is a fascinating story. But DTX, could people even spell it? What does that mean? What was that journey of getting that initial investment? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I was actually meaning to write up on this because I never got around to it. On the sheer amount of investors that- You can never find time. You have to make time for it. Just as a side note. I know you're the biggest uh, believer of that. And I agree with you. So I didn't make time to write out this uh, little blog that I had cooked up in my head of the amount of um, conversations I had with incredible, incredible investors who believed in me and was really fortunate, but didn't unfortunately believe that digital medicine or digital therapeutics was the path to get there versus the minute I would have agreed to direct to consumer, there was a multi-million dollar check waiting. But if it's down the path of let's go out and do the boring stuff of clinical studies and clinical validation and all the regulatory pathways and showing safety and efficacy and, hey, hold on, you're actually going to tell me that there is no revenue for the foreseeable future? Mm, pass. And that was the journey. I mean, it didn't matter whether you were an XVC or you were somebody that came with the right credentials at the core. I was fortunate enough to learn a lesson really early on, both as somebody who has been an investor and then as somebody who was raising that the right investor matters. 
And the right investor matters not on the valuation side. It really doesn't matter what value at which you raise, but do they believe in your vision? Do they believe in the journey that you're embarking on? And do they understand what does success look like? Because success in non-consumer world, when you're doing a seed round, isn't about the revenue, the GMV, the number of users, and all the other metrics that otherwise make fundamental sense when you're doing direct-to-consumer. If the path is, and in my case, that path was about B2B2C, it's about clinical validation, showcasing that this can actually work. You can actually build a claims universe and a series of claims that can allow you to then sort of go to the next stage. So I have no recollection as to how many, but I do think it was maybe anywhere between 25 and 50 conversations. We didn't raise, by the way, until two years plus after the company was formed and we had actually put in a fair amount of our own capital because that decision came from speaking to investors where if direct-to-consumer is not the way that we were looking to go and uh, clinical validation was what we seeked upfront, then might as well fund that with our own capital and then only go out and raise capital when we're closer to at least halfway. Have some proof points and hit some milestones for yourself, right? It ended up being a win because it was unadulterated two years, which allowed us to do something with it. And uh, I'm glad for it. So I'm back on the entrepreneurial train myself, right? And of course, as any other entrepreneur, there are some hypotheses you have on a business model or a revenue stream. I'm not necessarily saying it's a business model yet, but at least a revenue stream. Maybe you can also contrast those really early days when you went out on the streets and you got some interesting feedback and recruit patients, et cetera. Can you talk a lot about your hypothesis for a business model or a revenue stream and then how that changed over time? Yeah. I genuinely believed that every revenue stream was possible, that if you could improve outcomes, that economic value could be unlocked and that would reflect into something with the physician, something with the health system, something with the payer, something with pharma, something with device, something with direct-to-consumer, something with employers. And the reality is all of them are possible, but you have to focus. I would say we had MVP success with each one, but uh, what we gravitated more and more towards was those that care about outcomes. And that ended up being much more the institutional players, which have something to gain with an improvement in outcomes, right? So we tried every revenue model, especially because we could, and it was open canvas. And it is an open canvas in South Asia to a large extent. But what really worked for us was doubling down on what actually did work and then investing more and more in that. And then the journey took on on its own. So enough and more hypothesis that ended up being proven wrong in the journey of revenue, even in the journey of scale. But the first principle still remains solid, which is let's improve somebody's health and then figure out how we're going to get paid for it. And I guess when I'm sure many things have changed in the four years, but at the same time, many things stayed the same. So can you describe to our listeners a little bit of South Asia landscape of DTX? I know, again, it's a buzzword and it's been kind of exploding out, but I'm sure outside of quote unquote, the DTX geeks that probably many listen to this, most people don't even know what digital therapeutic is. So can you describe a little bit of the landscape and even to a certain extent, regulatory framework? Not in the details, but just as a high level. At the high level, everything's still evolving. I, there isn't one market in South Asia where DTX is regulated or even digital medicine is regulated. That journey is only beginning now. So telemedicine is, 
telemedicine is much more recent in most markets in South Asia. Uh, telemedicine went into the regulatory universe only because of COVID, which is fantastic, but it happened. And that then normally starts that evolutionary curve, which eventually leads to, you know, remote patient monitoring, digital therapeutics, and a whole bunch in between starting to get regulated. But it's very early days right now. In fact, because of that, we have the unique opportunity of having that voice heard and felt in the legislation and the thinking through of the legislation. So really early days on regulation. From a landscape perspective, you're seeing an incredible amount of innovators work towards solving for specific pain points, but they really are doing this more as a B2C. Very few are looking at it from a B2B2C perspective. So when you're thinking B2C over a period of time in South Asia, it's all about different needs of the end user and outcomes being one of them. And therefore, you'll see this evidence through PubMed. Not a lot of clinical evidence studies, publications make their way where digital therapeutics are trying to showcase an improvement in outcomes. Because at the end of the day, when your entire market is out of pocket, who's going to pay? And that matters, right? And even in our journey, we saw that. And while there is an incredible opportunity in South Asia, because it's completely open, and to that extent, Southeast Asia and Asia, and that means if you're investing in these markets, you can see adoption, which is unprecedented. You have to remember at the core, it still requires somebody to pay whether that somebody is pharma or that somebody is payer. And in all cases, it boils down to the payer. How do you build that pathway? That's super important. So seeing a lot of companies, more and more, in fact, now, but largely direct to consumer. There's a reason why South Asia, and especially India, ended up being the pharma capital of the world, right? Beyond a point where a lot of incredible pharma companies are built out of here because there is an essential understanding of how to deliver uh, some part of the healthcare value chain sitting out of one market and then globally expanding. And that allows for incredible talent to be available in the region, but putting those pieces together and making sure that you're able to drive outcomes at scale, that's what excites us. Yeah. And maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, in the markets that you're operating in, because I can also imagine from a pricing perspective, and especially even if you do B2B2C or D2C, the price points are not what are expected or seen in some parts of the West. I've come across some of your presentations back in the day, so you can touch on that. Sure. Price is relative to cost of care. So if your average cost of care, which in India, at least by the studies are between, say, if you look at type 2 diabetes, is between $200 and $300 a year, then what is the Delta improvement going to be valued at? And that's something to think about, right? So India versus regulated Asia versus Europe, three markets in which we're operating, the Delta is about between 15 and 25 times what India would be, as an example. So price points are obviously a lot lower, but the gap in care is actually a lot wider. So it's an interesting mix, right? Where actually you want to do more in the country in which you're operating or you see the gap in care because the gap in care isn't just about better quality outcome. It's about access to primary care, which is non-existent. Equality of care, which is heavily biased towards those that have disposable income. So those are different problems that you're, you end up addressing. But the beautiful part is you still end up using at least in our world, digital therapeutics as a pathway to get there. For the masses, it's a little bit difficult to grasp what is really a digital therapeutic. So one of the questions I'm going to be always asking is what is that consumer, health consumer experience with your product? So maybe you can go through almost like a use case or as a patient slash health consumer, what do I get with wealthy therapeutics, right? How do I 
operated? Yeah, it's a great question. It's the one that keeps us up as well, right? That what does that user journey look like? Because it sure as hell isn't a user journey on an app. It's how does our product or service intertwine into your daily life in a manner in which you can just live that life better, healthier than you did before we ever came along. And therefore, everything we do is about really understanding pain points, opportunities, gaps in your daily life, which we can help solve for, or we can enable the healthcare system to solve for if, if it's not a software-based solution. So if it's a, a person with, say, asthma, then it, it's less about, uh, of course, there's the connected cap on the inhaler, and then there's a whole bunch of, there's a kit that comes to your home, but it's much more than that. It's about how do I understand what your daily living looks like, where you go to work, where you're at home, what the weather patterns are around there, what are the environmental triggers that have uh, caused an event earlier, what is it that you're scared about, and then how do I give you, for lack of a better word, that Google Nav, and combine that with the alert mechanisms that are really necessary so that we can play both a active and a passive part in your life. And that, that word passive, it's so powerful. When you're looking at a user's journey, how many users really want to be remembered and want to remember that they have a chronic condition? Very rare. Yes, they want to do something about it, but they don't necessarily want to be reminded about it. So how do you really play that passive role in that member's journey, whether it is helping you with a better physician appointment, helping you with better access to medicine, helping you with the better tip or a trick that allowed you to avert that potential event that would have otherwise happened, help you in making decisions through your journey, through your day, through your hour, through that time of the day, so that you're able to live a better life, a stress-free life. How do we help you in mental health? It's all of those things that drive us to be able to build better and better experiences. But whether or not we're solving for respiratory conditions or cardiology conditions, or of course, diabetes conditions, it's looking at a day in the life of, a week in the life of, a month in the life of, and then intertwining our experience into that. It started with the app experience. It augmented to enabling virtual care through the platform. It went then into clinical decision support to healthcare professionals so that they could play a role in your life. And now it's moving into connected devices and then the entire predictive world that comes with the slew of new data. So it's evolving and it's definitely different for different pieces of the, the disease journey, uh, but that's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting you've started talking about DTA. It's software-based interventions, right? And I had on our first episode with Brian Dolan a long discussion around, we shortened PDTs, right? Prescription digital therapeutics. And I want to say versus, right? But uh, some delineation between the PDT, the prescription digital therapeutic that very much follows the pharma route to market access to more of what you've described a little bit as um, care coordination slash disease management. Where is your head? And maybe that layers on top of, you know, yes, your current business model, but then also the regulatory framework in South Asia today. So can you describe where your head is between PDT and the care coordination or health management services? So we've been fortunate to be operating in both. We're on the care coordination side as well as we're on the PDT side. And what keeps us rooted in first principles is at the end of the day, what's necessary for driving better outcomes. 
in certain situations, that pathway requires digital care. In certain situations, that pathway can stop at digital therapeutics. So we don't see ourselves as a company that will say we will do only X and that's it. Our loyalty is to the patient. Uh, and therefore, you know, depending upon the condition and depending upon what's the right pathway to be able to make sure that we can help that patient's health improve in that condition, that's sort of the pathway we take. And therefore, the way our head's at is if it's a unit, that unit is what's the claim that we're looking to make? Uh, that's where everything begins. If the claim is uh, something that eventually needs to be going down the PDTX route, and it's a claim that needs to sit outside of any virtual care whatsoever, then the pathway we will take will be similar. And we are right now, for example, doing it for one of our indications, similar to how a PDTX would operate. But if the claim is not necessarily about making a FDA filing or you know, going down that pathway, but actually it's about how do you drive better clinical distance and support? How do you drive better ability to drive outcomes, including uh, what a physician can do, including what a health coach can do, including ABC, then we take the digital care route. So I wouldn't even say we've done it out of convenience. It's been done out of what's the claim that we're looking to make and what's actually going to help that patient's life get better. And then depending upon the condition and depending upon what we need to do in that condition, we choose the pathway and then stick to it. You know my background coming out of pharma, and I know one of your investors is also a pharmaceutical company, and I also do know that part of your business model is working with pharma. Having said that and having put in my cap of the experience, I always question, is it the DTX companies with the surrounding experience and I'll say novel ways of do care coordination that will swallow that pill inside? Or will the pharma companies swallow the DTX companies? So I'm actually curious as an entrepreneurial fellow entrepreneur, your thoughts on it. And we're not in the philosophical stage just yet of our discussion, but. If I had to look at the next decade or so, I would say from a patient perspective, they will find much deeper engagement with the digital therapy. And then pharma will be a part of that as it should be. But when it comes to the reality of where the organizations will move, Pharma are cash generating machines. And as a result of which, they will inevitably, at least in the first wave of things, be the ones that will swallow the DTX. But there's a difference between who owns it versus who experiences it. I do believe the patient will experience and therefore have recall for the digital therapy much more. But that asset may still be owned by pharma. And that's perfectly fine because at the core, it's about improving outcomes. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay, here's my question. Earlier this year, I spoke with Apollo Hospitals about some of their new digital health initiatives, which launched just before the pandemic struck. So Apollo has been a digital pioneer in India for years, but it seems like the pandemic has helped spur them on to move even more quickly to digitize their care system. So has competition increased for wealthy in India from big providers like Apollo, who seem to be building out their digital health offerings amidst the pandemic? Thanks, Brian, for the question. It's early days to know the answer to that. 
just given the sheer size and scale of markets that are in South Asia, especially India. It's true, Apollo and companies like Apollo have launched digital health initiatives, but their actual sort of where the first sort of wave of competition is actually going to standalone telemedicine providers, because that's the first piece of the puzzle that uh, Apollo and companies like Apollo have actually tried to solve for, which is how do I actually solve for access to primary care? And within that, then the next gamut of things, how do I solve for access to diagnostics? How do I solve for access to pharmacy and sort of my refilling of medication? So you're seeing e-pharmacies and telehealth as actually the first recipients of that onslaught. But it's even them, I wouldn't say that they're really feeling it because what also happened in the pandemic was a absolute dip when it came to footfalls on consults in general. So if you have OPD or outpatient departments literally shut down for a few months and then still sort of wiggling their way back up, it's still very early days to even get that number back to what it used to be. But um, that first wave will be fought between the incumbents like Apollo and the large-scale telemedicine and e-pharmacy companies. They haven't yet gotten to very deep domain-specific digital care solutions. You still actually have hospital systems wanting to work with digital therapeutic companies to come up with ways in which they can improve patient outcomes for specific indications and specific use cases. So we've not yet felt it, but I do believe that as that continues and deep domain expertise for each specific therapeutic area become the next wave, that's something that'll be really interesting to see. One of the questions is always, again, I think a lot of the entrepreneurs, especially the ones that were, I think, focused on, I'll call it the pure digital therapeutics as a technology. I think sometimes the expectation is people will just use it, right? If you build it, they will come. And then we all learned that doctors, nurses, and to a certain extent, even health coaches are required part of the journey. Where's your head on this? And how do you leverage that knowledge and power of human beings surrounding DTX? So I couldn't agree more that you still need physicians, health coaches, nurses as a part of the journey to drive better outcomes. It conflicts with the pathway that PDTX needs to have in order to drive regulatory approval and go down the route. So I wish there was that perfect answer. It does take the equivalent of a utility like WhatsApp or a entertainment value like Netflix to reach a point where patients are on it because they want to be on it and they're engaged and they continue to be engaged without the need for human intervention. And that day will come as we build better and better experiences, but we're not there yet, for sure. And therefore, the need for paramedicals and HCPs as part of the journey, I don't think that's going away, if you ask me personally. Not just on the onboarding and initiation side, but honestly, through the care continuum, uh, you still see that uh, sort of happening. How regulators will react to that remains to be seen. It may be that regulators will split it into, you know, if you're a digital care, you're on the telemedicine side. And if you're digital therapeutic, then you're in the PDPX and therefore regulatory approval down that route side. But there's a place for both. And a uh, patient is at the center of it all. They will govern what actually engages them. Because if you don't see patient engagement, you don't have anything. And finally, for our listeners, we kind of kicked off with your personal journey into the DTX space, but I also want to know kind of what is your why and what gets you up in the morning? Honestly, I know it sounds really cheesy, but we're in it to improve health outcomes. And what gets us up in every morning is 
ironically, not the fact that we are doing something that makes a difference. It's actually that we're doing something extremely challenging. That's the the why that gets me up every night. Honestly, if it was easy, I don't think I'd be doing this. What is really truly exciting is that it's challenging. It's extremely risky. Moonshot is not even the word for it. But at the core, uh, every minutiae positive movement that you're making is actually helping patients' lives and is driving a benefit to the larger healthcare ecosystem. So that's what really keeps me up. And this decade, oh my God, it's the most exciting that there ever was for digital health, for digital therapeutics, spurred with COVID, but i um, really, really excited about the years ahead. Because if there ever was a time for digital health and digital medicine, real world outcomes, it's now. Absolutely agreed. And thank you very much for taking the time and uh, looking forward to our next discussion. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Brian Dillon's Exit and Outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at HealthEugene or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.